Hey, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week, we talk about the insanity going on in U.S. politics, break down a few stories, and try and make sense of things the best we can. And I'm Charlie Warzel, senior tech writer here at BuzzFeed and emotional support for Kate. <laughs> Charlie, what are we going to talk about today? Well, basically, we're going to talk about the the most insane week that you could draw up in U.S. politics. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the impeachment word and um, why it's actually not on the table and why some Democrats don't want it to be. And then we're going to talk with Adrian Carrasquillo, who's going to tell us how crazy things have gotten in the White House and what it's like to cover that from, uh, you know, inside the White House press room. Lastly, it is 11 a.m. on a Thursday, and I'm telling you that because by the time you listen to this, who knows what could have happened. Joining us now is Tarini Party, who covers Capitol Hill and the Trump administration for BuzzFeed News. Hey, Tarini. Hi, Kate. Um, so what we want to get to first here, and just to get it up front and out of the way, is this question of whether Trump will be impeached. And my view is that this is extremely unlikely to happen in the immediate future. I mean, we're out of the prediction business, but why is this unlikely right now? I think the key phrase is in the immediate future, because exactly like no one knows anything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Never has there know. been a more relevant <laughs> title for exactly. a podcast. Uh, but right now it, it seems unlikely because uh, Democratic leadership doesn't really want to push it uh, when it's not um, when, when they're not ready for it and when it it doesn't quite warrant it. So it's a sort of a classic uh, the boy who cried wolf situation here. You don't want to start the impeachment talk too early because the way things are shaping out, I mean, potentially it could happen. But the key reason why they can't actually do much is because uh, in the House where the impeachment would start, right. um, they don't have the majority. Republicans control the House, and it's very difficult for Democrats to really do much there. So, uh, you know, we're seeing some sort of backbencher Democrats, the usual suspects sort of bring it up a little bit right now. Um, and the base is, you know, getting hungrier and hungrier for more of that talk, given the news cycle this week. But a lot of sort of the leadership and the and Democrats like Nancy Pelosi are advising more caution here. Yeah, I mean, I think that the impeachment talk has been that that's been something that's been out there since like November 9th right among a progressive base among um, Democrats kind of outside of Congress and inside of Congress they're it, it, they do real they have a better understanding of reality. Exactly. And I mean, you know, after the election, if you talk to, you know, a progressive Democratic voter, I'm sure they were taking bets on how long Trump would last. Yeah. Uh, but inside the halls of, of Congress, they know the reality. They know they don't have the power yet. Uh, that's why the 2018 midterm elections could be actually very important, because the way things are shaping up, if Democrats have a good message, um, if they start tying Republicans to Trump in a way that's actually effective, yeah. Um, and if they, you know, win a lot of these seats and sort of the the swing districts where we're seeing Republicans now actually breaking from Trump uh, somewhat, um, if like Democrats a tiny are, bit. <laughs> little, yeah, <laughs> if Democrats win are able to win those seats and potentially uh, win back the majority in the House, then we could actually see some movement in this direction. Yeah. 
I mean, I think the other thing that people kind of aren't taking into account is that a lot of the Democrats who are in leadership, the people like Chuck Schumer, who's the minority leader in the Senate, and Nancy Pelosi, like they were all there for the Clinton impeachment Mm -hmm. trials. And they and that did not go very well for Republicans at the end of the day. Like there was such overreach Mm -hmm. in trying to like take down the president that it actually turned off voters against Republicans. And like if you start talking too much about impeachment without, you know, having the goods, Mm -hmm. like it just looks like you're just being kind of a, a partisan hack exactly and we don't even really need to go that far back i was talking to uh some democrats yesterday who even brought up uh the benghazi investigation right uh they've been saying you know they said all last year uh that that it was uh, overreach um and that republicans were acting like partisan hacks um so you can't really start the impeachment talk right now because then you look like a hypocrite right right so they want to wait until the time is right where they actually potentially have some power uh where where things could you know happen rather than just kind of talk about it uh for political points right i'm i'm curious if any of this so like i i went to you know the uh, a couple of you know major news websites yesterday and like the (laughs) the splash of their of their home pages were you know democrats talk impeachment like you know Anderson Cooper was talking about this two nights ago on CNN, like using the word again and again and again. And it's all over the sort of, you know, the resistance, hashtag resistance part of social media. Is Does this sort of wealth of talk about this float into, you know, the halls of the Capitol? And does it sort of frustrate, you know, people who, who are there who are just, you know, trying to deal with the reality of the situation? I think that's an interesting question. And what we're seeing now, uh, just, you know, the difference between yesterday and today when, you know, yesterday, which was Wednesday, and (laughs) a uh, special counsel was appointed. uh, And now we're seeing just today, Democrats talk more about the domestic agenda. I've seen sort of a shift here happen uh, where in order to try to avoid this sort of impeachment talk, they're talking about, you know, cuts to the education budget and things like that, that the base also care about, but, you know, could potentially uh, also uh, that they could potentially do something about rather than, you know, the impeachment talk where it's uh, basically just talk right now. It's funny, like I was I was actually like listening to some people and it sounded like some of the, you know, in, in the days post the Comey firing, people were actually kind of like coming around to like I was hearing the word impeachment and then people saying, no, just it's it's about the 2018 elections. Like, let's calm it down. And then like. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. It's just like just adding gasoline to the fire. And like we kind of can't get rid of that question now. It seems like it's hard to put it back in the box. Yeah. I mean, that question's definitely going to be hanging around. Uh, and it's not just going to come from Democrats. Uh, you know, as we go on, there might be more Republicans, as I mentioned, in these sort of swing districts who are worried about reelection, who are trying to distance themselves from Trump, who might start coming out and saying things uh, like maybe, you know, there have been could. two so there've far. There have been two so far. And, you know, those two, um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, they are members of Congress, but they don't <laughs> quite matter that much. Right. Uh, but, you know, if that number gets bigger, uh, the conversation could get more serious and uh, Democratic leadership could be more open to talking about it. 
So it's clear that impeachment is not a realistic thing to be talking about at the moment, but that could change. It's not on the table. And that's where we are right now. And so I think that brings us to this point where we talk about, you know, what's actually going to happen next. And I I think just to sort of get people in the frame of mind of of the insanity here, it might be good, Kate, if you want to just sort of like list off what's actually just happened in the past 10 days with regards to all of this Trump-Russia investigation stuff. Um, Because it's a lot, and I think it's very easy for us to get sort of mired in this. Uh, Trump fired James Comey. Trump may have shared classified information with Russian officials in the White House. As you do. It was reported that, as we said, according to Comey, Trump told him to ease off investigation into Michael Flynn. Justice Department last night appointed a special counsel to handle the investigation into Russia. And then there was a lot of Michael Flynn news last night about, you know, kind of him not registering as a foreign agent, getting payments and then trying to uh, delay a um, special ops thing a couple months ago. I I don't have a brain anymore. I can't use Tarini's laughing at me because I just don't have words anymore. How much do you think we've aged, Kate, in the last 10 days? Yeah, we're exhausted. And I think that actually speaks to like the fact that you, someone who is paid to follow this and know this and talk to people about this, both of you, that that it's hard to almost put into words the like <laughs> the amount of things that are happening and how twisted and convoluted it is I, I i think that that you know that speaks to the problems that everyone is going to have with this and it's not something where it's just like you know they this bill is put forth there's what's in it you know it, it's like it, it's twisted it's complicated it's you know being refuted by different sides you have a whole apparatus of a different side of the media that's trying to tell a different story yeah, it's it, it's insane. So <laughs> I just so think yeah, it's, it's so hard to keep track uh, at this point. And uh, senators are finding out, uh, and and members of Congress a lot of times are finding out just as reporters ask them the question, uh, as was the case uh, when the the Comey memo came out. You know, a lot of reporters were showing senators the story on their phones <laughs> and they were reading it yeah. uh, and then responding to it. So uh, they are sort of. Just just as lost potentially as everyone <laughs> else's, um, but uh, the words that sort of come up a lot when you talk to them now are uh, troubling and concerning, and you know. So we're sort of getting trying to get past that into actually figuring out how they're going to play into this investigation and all this news that's coming out. I think we should just make a chart and just like <laughs> show it to them and just be like, where on the scale of troubling to concerning? Uh-huh. It's like the thing you when you go to the this? doctor and they're like, there's like the the smiley faces with the pain. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, are you are you like a grimace with lightning bolts or are you like, you know, yeah. So I think we need that for, um, you know, uh, con- constitutional crises. But <laughs> that, would, that would actually be helpful because there are also so many reporters on the Hill now. So it's like actually getting, the scrums are getting uh, pretty violent. So if they could just like, point to things instead of talking <laughs> that would be helpful so one thing i wanted to ask you guys about is is you know, the basic question is how does a major congressional investigation work uh it feels like that is firmly now uh what we're what we're all headed for um and 
I, you know, I, I, I want to drill down with you guys on uh, really understanding where we go from here with this, you know, independent prosecutor. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, the, to, to be clear, the congressional investigations have been going on for a while now. There's been an investigation in the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, an investigation in the House Intelligence Committee that's been a little less organized, but they're both sort of trudging forward, and they will continue to do their investigations. There's also the House Government and Oversight Committee, which has the power to subpoena all kinds of documents and and different things. And so Congress is going to keep Congressing, right? Uh, there was a special prosecutor appointed by the deputy attorney general who will sort of um, take the lead. I'm sorry, it's not a special prosecutor. It's special a special counsel. counsel. That's a very key distinction. Uh, it's a special counsel to, um, to take over the investigation. But those two things are going to happen sort of in tandem. You mentioned subpoenas and subpoena power and... And that feels very key in sort of pushing this forward, getting the information that people want. Democrats don't have that, right? Like, can you explain a little to not just me, but probably people who are following along sort of the, the ins and outs of that and who has it, who needs it? What can people stand to lose and gain from that? Yeah, so... Uh Democrats don't have the power in the in the House to uh, call witnesses to get the documents that they need for this investigation because they're in the minority. Uh, the Republicans have the majority. They control the, the oversight committee, uh, and they're going to be the ones who are going to be doing all of that. So, uh, you know, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, said yesterday that they're going to try to, you know, uh, use that oversight power uh, in the way that it's designed to be used in the sense that uh, Congress is another branch of government and they're going to try to be as independent and, uh, you know, try to hold uh, Trump accountable and see if there's actually going on. Uh, but, you know, it's, it is hard to, for Democrats and potentially for voters to trust whether that's the case when it is the same party controlling the White House and uh, uh, the House in, in Congress. So this is why the 2018 midterms keep coming up because that's when uh, Democrats have the chance to get back that majority and then win back the subpoena power and really get things under their control uh, to be able to uh, to call witnesses, to be able to get those documents uh, that can get to the bottom of this investigation. I think that for Republicans like Ryan and Mitch McConnell, who's the majority leader in the Senate, they can't stand this drip, drip, drip of information. Like, like the reason why they're motivated right now to get everything they possibly can is because they want this to stop. Like, they they have stuff they want to do. Like, they're controlling all three branches of government for the first time in eight years, and they have an agenda that's frankly... They just, want that tax reform. They they, want <laughs> they're dying for it. They're, and uh, tax reform, healthcare, all of that stuff keeps getting drowned out uh, with all of the Russia investigation. Every day there's something new. And, uh, you know, they're getting tired of it. You know, they're still trying to move forward as much as they can with the, with this, with their legislative agenda. Uh, but the fact is that if every day there's a new story it's really hard to get Democrats and even Republicans on board uh, to vote in favor of something that the president supports because they are, you know, going to continue to 
tr- the people who are up for re-election are going to try to continue to maybe distance themselves from Trump, and maybe that could translate to distancing themselves from the legislative agenda as well. So it sounds like we're probably going to have you on again to talk about this. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Tarini. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Stay sane. Joining us now is Adrian Carasquillo, who covers the White House for BuzzFeed News. Adrian, it's nice to see you in the office. Yes, it's good to be here. I haven't seen you in a bit. It's been a bit of a crazy week. So what has been going on over there in the old press room? So obviously the other day the story comes out that the president uh, reportedly shared classified information with Russian officials that were in the Oval Office. Um, And so it was sort of what has become kind of normal in the White House lately, just like mayhem, just like what is going on? I mean, the first time I saw this was Comey the other day being fired. And I just saw sort of like shell-shocked staffers in a way that I hadn't seen before. Obviously, there's been stuff with the travel ban. There's been stuff that has been controversial and got them criticized. But the first time the staffers just really looked like they didn't know what was going on and they had nothing for us and they were a little sort of – kind of didn't really want to talk a little curt with you. And so I was like, okay, th- this was interesting with the Comey firing. And then this week with the Russian news, um, again, you saw that. So they, they send out McMaster to talk about... Who's McMaster um, is the national security advisor yes. currently. They, they send out McMaster and, and they worked on a, on a statement for, um, for an hour. And they sent him out to basically say the story as written is false. And, you know, he stays away from saying whether the president shared classified information. Um, and, of course, the press wants to hear more. I mean, this this uh, statement was less than a minute. And so a, a bunch of us rushed to the back uh, where this communication staffers sit and the, the reporters are allowed to sit to stand there. And uh, so we're just sort of waiting to see if they're going to have anything else for us. And uh, one of the reporters, uh, Trey Yinks, who works for One American News Network, uh, he comes in and he says that, uh, he saw the staffers. He saw Steve Bannon, the president's chief strategist, and he saw Sean Spicer, the press secretary, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, his deputy, and Mike Dubke, who's the communications director. Uh, he saw them all go towards the cabinet room. And so literally a few seconds after he said that, we're like, we can hear yelling coming from that room, <laughs> oh and which is, which is not ideal. Like if, if, like if problems are happening, you probably don't want the reporters to hear yelling. And so, you know, it's this moment where you're sort of like, okay, what's happening? I'm listening, can definitely hear yelling. We think we knew who it was, but I wasn't going to report that I knew who it was from, you know, hearing them from, from far away. But certainly we heard some yelling, and I tweeted that. And then the communication staffers sort of like Veep. It's like sort of like a sitcom where we're like, <laughs> Uh, we can't hear the television. Why don't you put it up? And the other one put up the TV so loud. Put up the TV so loud that, honestly, I mean, we joked that it kind of sounded like they were trying to do a murder in the room, like, quietly. Because no one would ever put the TV that loud. So... Um, so yeah. I, 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 one thing I, I think that I want you to speak to is like the space in which all this takes place. Uh, yeah. Kate and I have, have sort of both been th- in that in that room. But like, yeah. this is kind of just like a a very contained little world yeah. with tons of people packed in it and like yeah. tell yeah. me what that's like you know it's a tiny it's a tiny hallway i mean maybe 10 15 feet max and the thing is that the the um security won't let you uh secret service 
will not let you be past the hallway. So they actually are like, if you cannot fit yourself into that hallway, we are going to kick you out. So what you have is like 20 reporters like packed into this little area. And so that's where we heard it from. Um, so, you know, sort of crazy. Uh, then I tweet that they raised the volume. Um, obviously, I guess the staffers were watching Twitter. And, um, and and shortly thereafter, a few minutes later, Sanders came out and she said, we have nothing more for you. And uh, Jim Acosta from CNN said, is everything OK back there? We heard some yelling. And uh, she, of course, was not uh, in a mood to talk about that. She said she doesn't know what he's talking about. With yelling. <laughs> I don't know what yelling um, you're talking yeah, yeah. about. <laughs> so so it was it was it was honestly sort of surreal. But I, I think it speaks to just like how insane the news has been in the last 10 days. And I think uh, more importantly, the fact that some of those staffers have not been ready. Uh, to, they have not known what was going to happen. Like with Comey, obviously they didn't, you know, maybe that maybe Spicer and some of the communications folks had heard about the Russia story like earlier in the day, but just like the way that that stuff was just unrelentingly dropping on them. And again, it hasn't been the most successful, like first hundred plus days. They, they really are focusing on this foreign trip to like give them a new fresh start. And then here you have just like nonstop news. I mean, it's yeah. like every day at five o'clock. The, uh, they're always scrambling because mm-hmm. they don't, they're just, just to undercut like how different this is mm-hmm. from like previous White Houses. Yeah. I mean, even when surprising stuff would happen, mm-hmm. like communications offices are generally like prepared. They mm-hmm. talk to lawyers. They know what they're going to say. They know the talking points. Yep. Even when Trump White House staffers mm-hmm. have talking points, like no one knows. You don't know if the president's going to just like yep. undercut you or mm-hmm change what (laughs) what is actually happening i mean just can you speak to like how unprepared like Mm -hmm. how unprepared they were for all of this obviously they've had this relationship with the press that's very confrontational and and you've seen for a while people have felt that this is not the most credible white house in the term in terms of like either misrepresenting things from the truth the truth from the podium or you know a day later, sort of like, well, you said this, that's not the case. And so you saw this again with the firing of Comey that they were sort of, it seemed like, un- unprepared for, where you had uh, Spicer and Sanders uh, the night that uh, Spicer sort of infamously was seen in the bushes um, after. <laughs> among. Uh, yeah, yeah, among around the bushes. The bushes. <laughs> around the bushes, of course. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, th- at first they said that the president was acting on the recommendation of the deputy AG, uh, attorney general. And then the next day, Trump is like, no, I already planned to fire him. I was going to fire him. I was going to fire him anyway. It was about right. And, and I think that does not seem like it's normal or positive for them, particularly when it's just this like unrelenting bad stu- bad um, news coming out. Um, so, yeah, I think we've seen in the last couple of weeks that they're not even on the same page, Can at you, least yeah. if they were on the same page. Can you give you know? us a baseline of what, you know, I mean, it, if you sort of are following along on cable news or Twitter, you're going to mm-hmm. think that this is, you know, like sort of sense. Inauguration Day, a White House under siege to a, mm-hmm. a degree. But like, what was what's been the baseline? You know, you've you've been there since the beginning of the administration. Yeah. What's been the baseline? I mean, it's been pretty like, despite the news always being a little bit intense, it's been pretty like controlled in there for the most part, right? Or or do I have that wrong? No, I think there's been spikes of chaos moments. I mean, you know, you go back to the travel ban rollout. Uh, where sort of they were just like, we're going to write an executive order and and, and maybe not have as much planning on what's going to happen, what the aftermath of that is going to be. But to your point, I mean, Sean Plenty of Days in there was in a good mood. Sean Plenty of Days in the press briefing was smiling at us, laughing with us, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, 
And I think that he sort of expected to kind of be under siege or be criticized to some to some degree didn't care that much. Like, you know, he he does that press briefing and he sort of has an audience of one. Right. He's speaking to the president. He's speaking to Trump. And as long as Trump's happy, Spicer would be fine Mm -hmm. and wouldn't really care what the press thinks. But now, as you see, on, on like one week, there's reporting. And my sources told me the same thing. The story I published today that like the, tr- the, the president is telling him, oh, I like your ratings. I'm happy. And then, you know, he goes on Navy duty and suddenly he's losing his role or or he, there are discussions that he is going to have his role taken away from him. And today we just reported following Politico that Sarah Huckabee Sanders after the foreign trip is likely going to take the podium and Spicer's going to have a diminished role. I mean, he's trying to make the president happy, but then you have Trump undercutting him, who certainly has not been happy to be under siege lately. Uh, So it hasn't been the best of times for Spicer lately. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it wasn't chaos for all 115 plus days. There were plenty of days that they felt they were doing a good job doing those, you know, little executive order signings at the White House and things like that going on on the trips. if you, if you yeah. were an HR representative, you might call this a hostile work environment. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's a lot of yelling happening. I mean, we, we should talk to you a little bit about just like the cre- credibility issue mm-hmm. this week. I mean, the this White House seems to be much more fast and loose with the facts. And in fact, mm-hmm. if you look back and what, you know, the, if, if you're starting from a place of my inauguration crowd is the biggest inauguration crowd mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. And you're yelling at the press, and that is like the first thing you do, which is what Spicer did the day after the inauguration. You know, when you get to a place where, no, the president didn't say that to James Comey. He didn't try and stop an investigation. No, you know, we're not going to comment further on if there are recordings or the president's recording things in the Oval Office. Like, at a point, you really need to trust the, uh, there, there is a, big credibility gap mm-hmm. right now. And the and the fact that the staffers don't even know what is going on makes it very hard for like us to do our jobs mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I mean from the beginning obviously the the first day um when Spicer came out and said that this was the biggest crowd in history for an inauguration um one of the really um I was not there that day, but one of the really uh, senior uh, White House correspondents who's been there a while who likes Sean and had told people, you know, Spicer's a good guy. Like, mm-hmm. you guys are going to like him. And as soon as Spicer did that, um, the person turned to, to the other correspondents and said, that was unusual. <laughs> and, and I think that that was sort of the beginning where even somebody that knew Spicer, and, and Kate, I know you've known uh, Sean for a long time, and yeah. so have other folks in D.C., who were just like, okay, we know this guy. And, and, and suddenly it became this thing where he was, again, sort of like only doing what Trump would want him to do. Um, and so that has that has continued in terms of their credibility. Um, and obviously we saw that with Comey. Um, and so when when these stories come out, and like we said, it's like every day at 6 p.m. there's a new story. Um, when these stories come out, the White House wants to say that's that's totally false. And I just don't know how long they can keep doing that with like these huge stories dropping. What people have been saying the whole last week is with Comey, and and uh, with Russia in general, Spicer and everybody has been saying there's no collusion. There's no there's no there there. Okay, well now a report comes out that you asked him to drop the Flynn investigation, and clearly that didn't happen, and now he's fired. So this is the one that people really feel was the first one that kind of has put them in a position that's difficult to defend. Why don't people resign? Um, I think Henry had a story yesterday talking Henry about Gomez you know, Henry from- Gomez, one of our reporters. Uh, 
talking about how people are just, you know, they're sort of in it for the long haul. And um, and I think that, you know, uh, it was only a couple weeks ago that they were celebrating passing health care in, in the House and waiting to, to, to see was- what happens in the Senate. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that I think the staffers do think that Trump is unfairly criticized and that the media is out to get him. Um, I also th- I also think that in these last 10 days, it's just been a lot at one time, sort of an avalanche. And, and I really have seen kind of some of these shell-shocked looks. I mean, these are communication staffers. This is their job to do this. And, and just kind of like, I have nothing for you, kind of a little, a little upset um, because, of course, the, the reporters are, are coming at them with a lot of questions. That, that the staffers really don't have answers. What was that tweet? I saw you tweet the old White House official. Oh, you yeah. walked by and asked, like... Yeah, we, we said, are you dealing with this Russia stuff? And uh, they said, uh, no, I'm putting out other dumpster fires. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, so a little bit of that fatalistic humor going on in the White House, maybe not the best. Yeah, you know, and and, and these are professionals. And a lot of them have ties to the RNC. Um, and, and I think that a lot of them feel that they're doing the best that they can. I just have to imagine it's got to be so incredibly difficult when your boss is undercutting you, when you go out and say something, and the next day Trump goes out and says the complete opposite thing. And so all these stories that come out and, and, from, and, and from the people I speak to, you know, Trump never says any of this is his fault. I mean, I remember that it sort of stuck out to me a few months ago. He was talking to Fox News. And he actually said this privately to news anchors, too. And he said, I think I'm doing a good job, but my communication could be better. I give myself like a C minus for communication. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like one of the first times that I heard Trump actually say he could do something better. But then here you have him basically throwing his staffers continually under the bus for stuff that he did. Right. Well, uh, we'll see what fresh hell the rest of the day brings us. Adrian, yeah. thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Well, Kate, it's uh, it's another week. Um, it's an, an honor to do this alongside you. <laughs> uh, I hope this is my this is my self care for the week, Charlie. I hope, Just like working good. through all of this. I think it's very telling uh, for the state of your life right now that your version of self care is rehashing these crazy events of this week. But uh, you know, that's what therapy is, I guess. We do the best we can. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer and Eleanor Kagan. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production support comes from Agaranesh Ashagre and Adam Butler. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate Nocera and at C. Warzel. Bye, guys. Um, Flynn won't uh, honor his subpoena, so he's going to be held in contempt of Congress. Wait, what is that? Whoa. What is it? Is that as intense as it sounds? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs>